the book of Luke, chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 16 and hopefully get to uh, the end of the chapter. And I have to say that I approach this chapter with a certain amount of fear and trembling uh, because I... These are not easy, this is not an easy passage to preach on, Um, not necessarily an easy passage to understand, but I trust that as we um, seek the Lord, that He will give us some illumination on these things. And so, um, before we begin, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You. For the privilege of being your children. Lord, we pray once again for our brothers and sisters in Florida, Lord, that you would protect them, shield them. Uh, Maybe people will be brought to you simply by the way that you protect that state um, from what is forecasted to be such a catastrophic thing. And uh, Lord, we know that whatever you decide to do in that, that it will will be to your honor and to your glory. Or we know that when people hit rock bottom, many times the only thing they can do is look up. And so I pray that we would, um, as we ourselves continue to look up for help and for hope, I pray that those who do not know you would do so as well. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of once again opening your word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will illumine the things that are fuzzy and confusing and will give us hope out of this message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this passage actually um, talks about two different things. Two different major things. Jesus will is continuing his discourse to the disciples about future events. And the first future event that he's dealing with is the fact that um, Jerusalem is going to fall. It's going to be taken over. And we know from the history books that this happened um, in, uh, in uh, 70 A.D., the the um, Romans destroyed the temple and persecuted the people, and the people uh, were forced to flee. And one interesting thing about um, that God would do when he wanted his purposes fulfilled was he would often um, cause people to have to scatter. If you remember in, in the Old Testament book of Genesis, we read in Genesis Um, in the early part of Genesis, about a tower called the Tower of Babel. And in that situation, the whole earth was together. They were of one language, and they said, let us build ourselves a tower so that we can make a name for ourselves and, and make a tower to heaven. And God says something that, from a human perspective, seems a little confusing and a little contrary to his nature. He says lest they accomplish this, let us confuse the language. And they confuse the language and the tower remained unfinished. 
And then we, we see in the New Testament how this event in 70 AD and other events caused the church to scatter throughout the whole known world, spreading the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, which we will get to in, hopefully, if the Lord tarries, a few months, we find that Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in all parts of the earth. So, the first responsibility of the disciples was to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. That was their first responsibility. But then he caused them to move out and widen their scope. So let's look at this first section of our passage today. And Jesus was conveying that persecution would come, but that God was in control. And as I look at what's going on today in this world, both from a persecution of Christians standpoint and also from a natural disaster, natural phenomenon standpoint, I can say, I can echo this with ultimate certainty. That persecution and trial is coming. It's a fact of life, but that God is in control. One of my friends, very well-meaning though she may be, often will point out that God does not want any of us to suffer. But the fact of the matter is that the Bible says that Jesus suffered for us so that we could have salvation. And if the very Son of God, who himself was perfect, suffered for our good, how then can we expect to escape suffering? So let's look at verse 16 to 24 of Luke 21. And you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinfolk and friends, and some of you they will cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not a hair of your head perish. In patience possess ye your souls. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judah flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let, and let them that are in the countries enter there too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them <clears throat> that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. <clears throat> so, this is not one of these passages that you see on a scripture plaque in the Christian bookstore. It's not cross-stitched on a pillow, but it's very important. Jesus was telling the disciples, this is what you will go through. This is what the Jewish people will go through 
And part of it was, no doubt, to wake them up. You know how many times Jesus would say to the Jews, He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks? But you would not. And as I've already related in this series on the book of Luke, isn't it interesting that when Jesus would talk about the bondage that the Jews were under, they said they have never been in bondage to anyone, even though they were in bondage to the Egyptians in the Old Testament. And as they were speaking these words, they were in bondage to the Romans in the New Testament. They had to go to the Romans and say, crucify Jesus for us, because we cannot. And yet they said, they were in no bondage. So sometimes God takes desperate measures to wake us up. I had a friend who said to me once, Andrew, why does God always use his two-by-four on me? Why does it always feel like he's wrapping me upside the head with a two-by-four? And I said, because he tries the still small voice and it doesn't work. So then he has to pull out his two-by-four and lop you upside the head. Because sometimes that's what it takes to get our attention. I remember a specific time in my past when that happened. I was getting ready to serve at a summer camp in the year 2004. I was really excited to go there. Every year my responsibilities and the time that I spent there have been increasing. And I got last minute notice that they wanted me to come half a week early. And I was all ready to get ready to leave and go. And my electric wheelchair broke down. And I started asking myself, should I even go? Because I'm supposed to go and serve with these people. And if I go, then they will be taking care of me. How is this going to work? And God used that three and a half weeks that summer to show me that sometimes being served is as much a part of God's plan as serving. Learning to be served is a lesson in humility. Learning to be served is a lesson that we all need each other and that we cannot do things on our own. I always tell my friends, never be afraid to reach out and ask for help from me because we all need each other. It doesn't it doesn't tell me that you don't have strength if you need my help. Real strength is knowing when we need help and being willing to ask for it. So as we look at this first section, we see Jesus laying out in detail, as we said, what would happen. Largely around 70 A.D., and, uh, but in these horrible circumstances, they would be able to testify to what Jesus had done. And, uh, of course, as I said, they scattered. They went through betrayals. 
They saw the death of their loved ones. James was beheaded. And so, how do we reconcile that with verse 18 when it says, But not a hair of your head will perish. How do we reconcile that with Psalm 91 that says, A thousand will fall at your right hand, a thousand will fall at your left, but you will be sustained. How do we reconcile that? Because a lot of people say, well, if God was good, why is there so much death in the world? But what did Jesus say? He said, fear not him who can kill the body. Fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. You see, as we talked about earlier this morning, I could die, any one of us could die at any time, but the hairs of my head cannot be harmed, number one, without God's divine choice. But number two, I have an ultimate reality, which is that even if I perish from this life, my inward man will go to glory to be with Jesus. And, he, and, and so he's saying that no matter what happens, you will be okay. Because you will be in eternity with me. And then he says this, in patience possess ye your souls. Sometimes it can get, this life can get rough, it can be hard. We don't know what's going to happen. But Jesus says, be patient. Peter talks about knowing that you may be tried with a fiery trial, but you can have hope in Jesus. And then he talks about how all this destruction deals with fulfilled prophecy, and we won't go there today, but you can look in Daniel chapter 9, where it speaks of these things. The one thing I can say to you with the ultimate certainty is that every word of Jesus is yes and amen, and it will occur if it has not already. And how do we know that it will? Because the things that he said would happen thus far have happened. And if those things have happened, then we can believe that what's to come will happen as well. And so there was great destruction. For a long time, Israel didn't even possess a nation themselves. But God promised that they would again. And in 1948, that promise was fulfilled when they once again became a nation. God has promises for Israel that they will be restored. They are still God's chosen people. We have not supplanted them. We've been grafted in. And 
And as we look at this passage, we see a lot of desolation. But we also know that God is in control. The beginning of this passage talks about how you'll be betrayed and hated by your brethren. We shouldn't be surprised that Christians are hated. We shouldn't be surprised that every other religion is lifted up above Christianity. Why? Because the world hates Jesus. God is fine. Allah is fine. But Jesus is not. Even though Allah is, was never alive, Muhammad is dead. Every great name that you can think of is dead. But Jesus is alive. And as we think about this destruction occurring, we can still have hope that it will not ultimately touch us, that God is in control, and that even these horrible things come because he wanted them to occur. If we can look at 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 14 the way of wrapping up this point. I know a lot of you will probably point out things that I have missed in this passage, but I'm looking forward to those discussions. Because as I said, this has been a, a difficult one to totally decipher. But if we could go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. Whoever gets there can read it. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, So we can be happy if we're persecuted for the Lord's sake. That is something that's hard to wrap our minds around because we all want to be well liked. We all want to get along. The Bible even says to us that we should, as much as is possible to us, live at peace with one another. And yet, we know that if we are following the one true God, that will not happen. One of my biggest frustrations in the Christian, so-called Christian church today is a lot of times people say we're not loving enough. And it's certainly possible because as human beings, we don't have the capacity in our own strength to love enough. 
And we often do go, try to go in our own strength and do this in our own strength. So I get that. But you know, often what people are saying when they're saying that is they're saying, you talk about the truth too much. Because you know, the truth is dire without Christ. We just read in 1 Corinthians that if we are without Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So when I talk to people and I see them scratching their heads and wondering why things are so bad, why are people against each other? And I tell them because we've supplanted God as the supreme ruler of this nation. And I tell them it's because we don't have a moral standard where we once did. And they get mad at me for not being loving. Then that's tough luck. Because my job isn't to tell you what you want to hear. My job is to tell you what you need to hear. Because someone was gracious enough to tell me what I needed to hear. Because I had parents that told me that without God, I was an evil person. Because we all are. I actually got a chance to share that with a student this week. Because he read a quote about how evil racism is and how people are taught hate that they don't necessarily naturally hate. And I like the quote for the most part, but the one thing I did point out to him is that the Bible says that all men are evil. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so as we look at this passage, we can know that God is still good. And even with the destruction of the hurricanes, we can remember the promise of the flood, which was, I will never again flood the whole earth with water. He chooses to allow devastation in certain areas, and eventually the earth is going to burn up in fervent heat. A lot of people say, the Big Bang created the world. I say I believe in the Big Bang. And it's coming. Because it is. Because the Bible is very literal. A lot of times people dispute about what's figurative and what's literal. There is figurative language in the Bible, but it's fairly clear the distinction between figurative and literal. And if the plain sense makes sense, I will seek no other sense. So, our first point was, Jesus said persecution would come to the disciples, but that God was in control. He first said earlier in the passage, I'll give you the words to say, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how to deal with this situation. But then he said, some of you will die. Some of you will give up your lives. And they did. Ten out of the eleven apostles who survived 
would die martyrs' deaths. They tried to kill John. They boiled him in oil. They were unsuccessful. Imagine being boiled in oil and surviving. But he did. And so they put him on the Isle of Patmos. And even that is such a great testimony because he was able to say, even though he was alone, even though he didn't have fellow believers around him, he was able to say, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He didn't neglect the Lord's Day because he was by himself on the Isle of Patmos. So we see Jesus prophesying this destruction, which as we said, happened. The temple was destroyed. The people of Israel fled Jerusalem. But then, in this second part, he's going to make a transition. And that transition is from talking about something that would happen in the future to them on earth to the end of time and his return. And a lot of people debate how Jesus will return, but the one thing that every true believer knows is that Jesus will. And that's the important thing. So my second point is, hard times and persecution are not a surprise to God. These hurricanes are not a surprise to God. He said that as time drew near for his return, there would be natural disasters. There would be wars and rumors of wars. Men would be lovers of themselves, haters of their parents. And in many cases, they would not even know who they are. The Bible says in the beginning, God made them male and female. That those two genders are are the express glory and plan of God. That is the way that God's glory is seen, is through us embracing who God made us to be. And yet people are defying the very word of God in this crucial area, and no one knows who anyone is anymore. But as we look at this second section, we will see that Jesus again has it all in control, and he says, And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth, Distress of nation with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after these things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things are begun to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads. For your redemption draweth nigh. And he spoke to them a parable and said, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. 
When they now show forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Everything that Jesus says will come true. And reading this passage certainly reminds us of what we're seeing. We just saw a complete solar eclipse in some areas of the U.S. And I was telling a friend of mine, I said, it's kind of sad actually how excited some people were about the eclipse. Not in the sense that it wasn't exciting, because it was. God's creation is exciting. But the fact of the matter is that the vast majority of the world that was excited about this eclipse do not know the creator of the eclipse. They think it's just some perchance phenomenon that just happened. But nothing just happened. Even Benjamin Franklin, who himself admitted that he was not a believer, said this, God governs in the affairs of men. We have so gone south in our country and in the world that we don't even see that as a barometer anymore. But God does govern in the affairs of men. He told us these signs would would be coming. Signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And upon the earth, the distress of nations. We see that so much. You know, the Koreans, North Korea, working on their nuclear missiles. The Russians have seesawed between uh, enemy and ally of the U.S., There is still unrest in the Middle East because ISIS is there destroying believers because they think they'll be rewarded for mass genocide. And lest we forget, there's still a mass genocide in the United States today. the mass genocide of millions of unborn children. It sickens my heart that some of these same liberal politicians who say that we need to provide for these illegal immigrant children who are brought here not of their own will and say no human can, should lack dignity, no human should be illegal. Those same people say that unborn humans are illegal. How is that right? It's not. It's a stench in the nostrils of Almighty God. And one day, one day he will have his vengeance. (laughs) Because he said, Suffer little children to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven.
And then he says this, verse 26, man's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after these things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Men's hearts are failing them. People are fleeing to safety. Some always <laughs> refuse to come. Some of my friends were unable to escape the path of the hurricane because they said there wasn't enough gas at the gas stations to get them out of harm's way, so they're bearing down as hard as they can, trying to stay safe. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I pray that none of my friends are harmed, but I know that if those who are believers are harmed, that I will see them one day. And then he gets a little bit into the ultimate end of the world because he says they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. What a day that will be. Would it surprise you to know that Job looked forward to that day? He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and on the earth, again, shall stand. He hadn't had prophets talk to him. As far as we know, Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. He didn't read the prophet Isaiah and discern this. Somehow in his spirit, God communicated it to him. He also attested to the new bodies that we would receive because he said, in my flesh, I will see God. You know, some people say, we're just going to float up there as spirits. It's a false teaching. Because the Bible says that I'm going to rise from the grave and be caught up to heaven. So in certain ways that I do not know of yet, my glorified body will resemble the body I'm in right now. I hope it's a little taller. <laughs> but I'm still going to be me. Which is good news because that means that I'll be able to recognize my loved ones. I'm looking forward to seeing my brother who passed away as a baby. And the siblings that I never met because they were miscarriages. And my grandfather, who I never met, but I know loved Jesus. And his legacy was carried on through my father. And now I have the opportunity to carry it on to the next generation. Right now through my nephews and nieces, and if the Lord wills, eventually through my own children. And I'll be able to go and see that grandfather and say to him, thank you for passing on the legacy of Jesus. I don't know much about my grandfather, but I do know one thing. I heard a testimony that nobody was ever a stranger to him. That he would always greet people and say, I'm Don Gomison, what's your name? I think I inherited that because that's the way I am. I make friends easily 
and I love deeply. And I'm thankful that God made me that way. And then Jesus says something kind of surprising in this passage where we haven't seen much hope. He says this, And when these things come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. You see, with all, this thi- with all the things that are happening, the world says the world's gone crazy, what do I do? I say the world's gone crazy, and I look up to the Lord for help and guidance. And I say to him, even so, come, Lord Jesus. But until you do, I'm going to be here proclaiming your word and sharing hope with others. I'm so thrilled that I have a job where I'm able to do that on a daily basis. One of the teachers got up, one of the founding teachers at the Potter's House, got up during our training weekend. And because they had some of the teachers say, well, what, what, what was the story of how God called you to be here? And he talked about how he started out teaching in the public school and how he saw hopelessness in the eyes of these children, but he couldn't provide them with hope. And so that's why he, along with several others, including my boss, who is even now still the superintendent, had this vision to start the Potter's House so that they could share, along with all the academic exercises, the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. My friends, if you do not have hope, today is the day of salvation. The time is coming. As I said, the first part of this passage was about the destruction of Jerusalem. And it came to pass in 70 AD. You can look it up in your history books. So this other part, it's talking about the second coming of Jesus. It's going to happen. And so you need to know him. And then he speaks to us a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know yourself that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, when you see all these things come to pass, knowing that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Even the seasons are a testimony to God's faithfulness. We sing, Great is thy faithfulness. One of the verses is summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness of thy great faithfulness. Mercy and love. You know, some people say the Grand Canyon was just a fluke of nature. That it's just this hole in the ground. And they say they find fossils from millions of years ago at its base still. Do you know what I saw when I went and looked at the Grand Canyon? I saw miraculous evidence that Noah found grace in the eyes of the And those fossils that they find at the bottom of the Grand Canyon are because if there was a worldwide flood, 
There'd be millions of dead things buried in rock layers all over the earth. And that's what we find, is millions of dead things buried in rock layers all over the earth. It's not because of millions of years. It's because of millions of gallons of water over the face of the whole earth. Because the God who said, be healed repeatedly through his son Jesus in the New Testament, and they were healed immediately, Notice when, there's heal- when Jesus heals somebody, there's never a leg time. It's never be healed and three days later it happens. He didn't say Lazarus come forth and wait for two days for Lazarus to come forth. No, he said Lazarus come forth and Lazarus came forth. And I've heard it mentioned that he said Lazarus because who knows how many dead bodies would have come if he simply said come forth. We call Lazarus by name. And so now we're going to finish up this passage with verses 32 to 38. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that the day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come upon them that dwell on the face of the earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. And in that day he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him, in the temple for to hear him. And we see that all these things are in this passage have either been fulfilled or they will be fulfilled. And he reminds us, much like Peter does in his epistle, to be sober, be vigilant. We have an adversary, the devil, that wants us to believe that these Things are not going to happen. People laugh at us for prophesying the coming destruction of the world, but so they laughed at Noah, even though he was a preacher of righteousness. He says that we should pray to be worthy to stand with him at the last day. How is that possible? I just got done saying that we are all evil. It's possible because of the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the only way it's possible. He makes us worthy. And I pray with all my heart that each of you will be found worthy. By the end of today, don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. I just want to finish with this quick story. And then we will end says, the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard tells a parable of a theater where a variety show is proceeding. Each show is more fantastic than the last and is applauded by the audience. Suddenly the manager comes forward. He apologizes for the interruption, but the theater is on fire, and he begs his patrons to leave in an orderly fashion. The audience thinks this is the most amusing turn of the evening and cheer thunderously. 
The manager again implores them to leave the burning building, and he is again applauded vigorously. At last he can do no more. The fire raced through the whole building, and the funneling audience with it. And so, concluded Kierkegaard, will our age, I sometimes think, go down in fiery destruction to the applause of a crowded house of cheering spectators. People today cheer evil. They applaud vileness. But one day, the cheering will come to an end, and the sorrow and lamentation and weeping will be such as has never been heard. And there will be no hope. The only hope we have is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. We thank you even for this observation from Soren Kierkegaard about the destruction. Lord, the world is on fire in some places quite literally right now. We just pray that people would see the fire, that they would smell the smoke, and that they would Come to find shelter in you. Lord, we pray that perhaps even some will call upon you in their final moments during this hurricane and be welcomed into heaven. Because there's nothing they can do to earn heaven. The thief on the cross knew that. All they can do is say, remember me. I pray that they will. I pray that you will bless each member here, that you'll bring us safely to our different destinations, and that we will rest in you, and that as these things are occurring, that we will look up and have hope for our redemption draws nigh. Lord, I pray that you would make your face shine upon these people and give them peace. May we depart with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.